Okay, so let's move seamlessly now. Sorry to interrupt your ceremony. It's nothing personal. I just want to devour your god. This is like some gravity's reason. M O L M M. That feels apocryphal, but I'll take it. No, it's true. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. I mean, that is made for undiscerning days. I'll just auto tune that. Put a little guitar solo at the end. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Six hours later. Y'all done got digging the time. Welcome to another episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that fights every day to prove the name of our show incorrect. I'm Ben Helms, <laughs> and as always, I'm joined by my big brother and co-host, the Jaggy to my rescue, the Blazer to my blaster, Jason, I play JRPGs for the stories, Helms, how's it going, man? Hey, I also enjoy the mechanics. Yeah, um, JRPGs are awesome. It was gonna be. Uh, I played wanna... JRPGs for the for the articles, but that didn't really. Where <laughs> you were going with that? I thought it was okay. clear. Oh, thank you. Okay, yeah. good, good. I explained I... it either way, just like I do with all my jokes. And of course, no show <laughs> about men lacking morality would be complete without our longtime and nomadic friend and hardcore gamer, Corgan Vaughn. Mm. That's right. And uh, listen. This road time is cutting into my gaming, and it's really a problem. So I'm just looking forward to to settling in and hunkering down, uh, and getting some gameplay done once we arrive. Yeah, what's the what's the latest hardcore game that apparently you can't play on Switch while you're traveling? No, it's just Animal Crossing. Okay, cool. <laughs> my turnips are just languishing in my oh, basement. No. Yeah, oh. and so that's. That's a real problem. I was not able to sell them before leaving California. Uh, so that's a million bells just down the drain right there. Oh, man. Bells. Yeah, it's rough. But I will I will survive this. I'll get through this. You know, there's a, um, a great Andrew Capper song about bells. Uh, it's called The Bells. <laughs> it is a great song. It's true. Oh, I think it's about nips. It's about the stock market. Yeah, obviously. It has to be about the, the nips. Is that what you call them? The turns? Someone pointed out to me that uh, while for young people we associate nips with either turnips or nipples, yes, it has some connotations for the older oh, generation. Oh, yeah, it does. Never mind that one. Wait, is this a I racist thing I don't know about? It is. It is. Yeah, I was talking. It was like I take a nip of whiskey. But yeah. see, that's exactly what I my other thought process was, and I have a well, friend who's like forty seven, and she was like, "Yeah." Um, for people my age and older, eh. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, eh. All right. Well, this is just continuing on my road of, of self-revelation and education. Yeah. No, I, you know what? I feel like it needs to be something that we uh, that is addressed. And this, she said yeah. she's in an Animal Crossing Facebook group, and they had like a long discussion about whether or not it's okay to call it that. And they're like, let's just not. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't. Just Nope. Nobody's getting canceled. It's okay. Just right. let's use a different word. It does seem like so <laughs> many arguments and fights that I've observed or I've been a part of where it's just like, this is problematic because of this and this and this. And someone's replies, whatever it is, isn't strong enough to kind of outdo the, the complaints. So I feel like the solution to most of these things, whether it's the Confederate flag or Confederate monuments or whatever it might be that's been changed <laughs> this past month, or like canceled, whatever it might be. The solution should just be like, let's just not, because it's doing a lot more harm than good. Yeah, the obvious answer to a lot of right. things is like, like, why are we so attached to 
like words or things like my thought process now is like how about just don't name anything after anybody yeah yeah yeah, yeah. name yeah. stuff after where they are like we don't need a john wayne airport the call letters are sna call it santa Ana, or call it orange county or like you know like people get milkshake ducked so fast and a lot of these people are not even being milkshake ducked we've known they were trash for ages yes, and we sir. like fight this so it's like with words with all this stuff and like if someone tells me like hey this group finds it hurtful like do i need it yeah does it improve my life that much or should i just like just let it go just let it go i saw this today with uh a washington professional football team and their name being changed and fedex nike and a couple of big sponsors demanding it and and, like other sponsors right yeah fedex is the name of the field yeah which is significant but also they could just i mean they're i'm guessing in breach of contract by doing this so they could just cancel and get a new sponsor if they wanted to which who knows but anyway uh one of the one of the suggested names was the dc or the um the washington warriors which has nice alliteration the warriors the san francisco warriors originally philadelphia warriors my favorite basketball team has a problematic name its first logo was a native american in a big old headdress and it was a warrior so it doesn't solve any problems for them (laughs) no it does not help at all there was i saw someone put one what was it it was oh they were like listen you don't even have to change your colors or anything make it the red tails like and like you can totally do same you got the feathers too like everything (laughs) it's all there yeah i guess easy twitch I like the going patriotic and yes, there's the Patriots, but Sentinels is one. I mean, there's plenty of other just like patriotic names in there. They're in DC Sentinels. Yeah. Isn't that the name of a hockey team? Yeah. That doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Well, fine. <laughs> Animal, animals are always good. Animals, animals never- are always good. That's true. That's the takeaway here. Animals, animals are always never good. hurt anyone in the history of the world. <laughs> name them after animals that have mauled racists. Oh, it's yes! good. Oh, yes. We solved it. Men of low moral fiber. Boom. Boom. The we'll see you next month, everyone. Nice. All right. All right. Anyway, today we'll be taking a trip back to the 80s. Finally, I feel like we haven't played a classic LucasArts game in a while. So it's nice to get back to our roots. Uh, and we're going to discuss two, a little double feature, uh, two classic LucasArts games, Ball Blazer, not Ball Blaster, which we'll get to, and Rescue on Fractalis. With the exclamation point. We've never gone back this far because no. these are the first two LucasArts games. Yeah. Uh, I'm just so excited to get back to these and more excited than anything that they were actually fun. Um, yeah. That was surprising. These were really fun. Yeah, they were more fun than games like 10 years after them. But we'll get to that anyway. Can I quit just as a, you know, clarification before we move forward on this? I know that one of the reasons that Jason was like, Corey, just watch some videos or whatever is that it was tricky to play these games. So how did you, Very. yeah. What did you do in order to play these games? We're going to talk a lot about piracy around rescue on Fractalis, right? So let me tell you how I didn't play these. Um, <laughs> legally. Def- right. Legally. I um, purchased an old Atari 5200 uh, to run these on. Uh, this cost me hundreds of dollars and a year's worth of work building up so that I could actually get this thing working again and and fix everything. Uh, But let me talk more about what I didn't do, which is go and download them illegally from any number of sites and run them using some emulation software. Um, That's definitely what I didn't do. Um, But I also want to, uh, when we talk about the piracy, I think that's a great 
time to talk about kind of the unique piracy around Rescue on Fractals. Yeah. Uh, it has its own kind of unique story around that. So, so we'll does, get to that in a bit. So does Ballblazer. They have separate piracy stories, kind of yep. famous ones. All right. But first, as we're just starting, I don't know, we're like 10 minutes into this. But first, uh, we wanted to talk about basically what's been going on in the world and our country and why, basically why we took the month of June off. And a lot of this, I think if you read the news or if you are just an American, you probably have noticed things going on where you've, whether you've taken place in a protest, a march, whatever it might be. But as a result of kind of, um, I don't even, I just want to say like my eyes being open to a lot of things that have been going on for a long time. Uh, I was like, Oh, let's, let's highlight some black devs and black game creators this month and maybe going forward. And the first thing I did was like, Oh, look at our long list. This is games 49 episode 49. And I'll look at some of the list of that we have and I'll just like highlight a few of the, uh, the black developers or maybe leads on the projects that we've done. And to my ignorance and dismay, there are zero. So that's, that's yes. We play classic games or whatever. I'm sure there's excuses here and there, but, uh, the fact that kind of the realization I came to was that I've, you know, been railing against the idea of colorblindness. And again, being a parent that you get a lot of people saying like, Oh, my kids don't see the difference between their black friends, their Asian friends, their white friends, whatever it might be. And me kind of pushing against that, that colorblind is not the answer. And it's, it sucks to kind of wake up to the fact that we've been choosing games in a very colorblind way and giving money to in a very colorblind way. Uh, so that's just to say, and this is going to be a bigger conversation, but I wanted to start it by saying that we're going to do a better job highlighting games by traditionally ignored and under, underrepresented people, specifically black people, but, uh, but also not ending there. We wanted to kind of broaden it up more than that uh, and just kind of make sure we're, we're not just highlighting white, straight, cis men and their games uh, because two thirds of this podcast know a lot about that and that perspective and it's a pretty narrow point of view on the world and in gaming uh, as, as many of those games can be great and all that um, there's much more to gaming and much more to writing and stories and characters than that singular point of view. So and we uh, kind of like, we had made that a bit of a commitment at the end. Like when we talked about what did we want to do for this coming year? Yeah, and I think it really yeah. lights the fire under us to be like, okay, it's not enough for it to be like, yeah, 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 we're going to get to these, but to be like, wow, okay, there's this entire gap in this several years of gameplay. Yeah. And now all these options that we know about, whether it's, you know, that what you've looked back at and seen and, you know, could you find anything in the past, but also just contemporary things that have come out. So yeah. it lights the fire under something I think we were already thinking about, not to give us a ton of credit for this or whatever, but to say it was in our minds and now it's kind of like enough pushing it back we yeah. gotta really you know make this a priority for sure and it, i think it's it would be easy for someone to hear this and maybe see like is like it's a fad or maybe they're giving themselves homework because they're trying to be preachy whatever it might be and i want to make sure that it's it's we're trying to not make it that and it, i don't even want to say that i, I, I want to say that it's not that for me and for us i know that's more than that it's something that um i, I read in a couple articles depending on the study that between one and 3% of people in the game video game industry are black. And huh. in the U S I mean, let's say optimistically, that's 3%, <laughs> even if it's 5%, right? That's 13% yeah. of the American population is black. And so that's, that's really, really rough. And so this is something that genuinely we want to enrich our lives and the lives of our listeners and use our platform in a way that 
gives voice to people that aren't given enough voice in that conversation. One thing I want to add to that is uh, when we look at the idea that uh, the fact that just one to three percent of game devs are black and the low percentage of game devs who are women, uh, low percentage of various other uh, marginalized categories uh, represented. I want to make clear. I think that there's a sense to believe that like, okay, and, and, you know, it's one to three percent, but maybe 20 years ago it was zero. Right. And maybe there's we love to cling to these ideas of progress. progress. Yeah. So I want I want to stamp that down really hard. I, I'm not as aware of it around race, but particularly with women, there were actually more female game devs early on. And then there was a narrowing in the 90s where you saw fewer female mm. game devs and software engineers. Um, it's it's not just something that's continued. It's something that at different points in the gaming industry has intensified marginalization and excluding of certain people. So we're going to talk today about two games uh, that played on the Atari. And just to recognize kind of the history of uh, game development, I want to mention Jerry Lawson really quickly, who uh, is the inventor of the cartridge. Um, He is, without him, we don't have the Atari. Uh, That cartridge, uh, the original thing it was designed for, which was a Fairchild system, never took off. But Atari ended up using that technology. And without the technology of the cartridge, cartridge it wouldn't take off and he was a black engineer um software engineer and electronics engineer and someone who's often forgotten in the history of game development but i i definitely don't like the idea that you know hey in the last five years uh black people discovered video games uh that's not the story right that's not what's been happening right uh, they've been systematically excluded and sometimes in, in more intense ways than others it's such a common story when we look at you know history and inventions especially when it comes to any form of technology and things like that, often people of color and black people are written out of the history of it in ways that they were incredibly important. And, you know, when I hear this kind of stuff, like, and I think, you know, this fellow might've actually been trending on Twitter or something a few weeks ago. Cause I feel like I remember recently reading about this and it, it does give me like this weird sense of pride, you know, where I'm like, that's cool. Like we were there, we were doing this. Like, and that's a thing that, I think in all of this, like the colorblind reading of it or a white supremacist reading a video game or any of this kind of stuff, there's always that sense that like, well, who cares? You know, like, what does it matter if the person was black, white, yellow, red, pink, purple, you know? And it's like, there is a sense when you actually like find out that a black person, like as a black person, that a black person made something like this, that all of a sudden you're a part of something that you felt like wasn't for you. You know, and a lot of people have actively like video games, people, gamers have been kind of trash for (laughs) the past, you know, decade or two, you know, and uh, and have sort of very intentionally tried to marginalize people further and to be like, no, we were there. We deserve this as much as you Uh, is kind of like a it gives you a weird sense of pride and ownership of a thing that I think when white people are used to owning everything and having a right to everything and never having to feel excluded from anything uh, that you don't have that feeling. Right. So it's, it's an interesting thing to hear. Just like, like, wow, that's super important. That's awesome. We were there and we did that. Yeah. It's, it's like one of the most important inventions in the history of video games. And not only that, but it wasn't a one-off. Lawson was an important figure in early home computers. He was part of the homebrew computer club with Wozniak and Steve Jobs. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, he was, he was there. He is one of those, uh, I wanted to say faces on 
Mount Rushmore. Right. Hey, you know what? We're going to retire a one few of the phrases forefathers. Um, he's he's one of these important figures that really shaped the industry, mm-hmm. um, and w- was honored in some ways uh, during his life for that. But I I still feel has largely been forgotten. Uh, he passed away in 2011. Yeah, oh. you named two people that we all know who they are off the top of their heads, and yeah. one that we didn't. You yeah. know, so yeah, that means something. I have a I story that. Uh, let me know if this is recentering this on like m- me and we'll just take it out. But a story yeah. that that reminded me of uh, was yesterday, actually. And I watch um, a lot of basketball games. That's just kind of what happens in our, when they remember sports back when in the day, <laughs> we used to watch them in my house. Yeah. And so, and Olivia who's six now was just kind of at the age where she would watch a couple games or watch the fourth quarter with me or whatever. And then, or watch the first quarter and get bored, but she started getting into basketball the past like two months. We got a hoop. We're playing every day. It's been great. And yesterday she comes up to me. She's like, dad, do women ever play basketball on TV? I was like, well, shit. yeah, I'm going to be like, they used to when everyone did. No, but so we're definitely going to watch some WNBA, some women's college basketball, whenever that comes back. But that was one of those where it was like, yeah, it's exactly that moment of like, we, you know, you don't recognize when you are in every space, what it's like to be a person who is not in those spaces. So whether that is sports or video games or movies, we've been talking about representation in films and stuff like that for years, like any of those spaces, when you're absent from it, you are aware of it. And it shapes the way you live your life. Like I think Ben, I sent you the BIPOC of Marin um, page, right? And I was going to say, you sent me one that was, I can't remember if it was that page or not, but it was the stats about Marin being the most segregated county in California, I think it was. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I'm like, yeah, I knew, like, I didn't know that on a statistical level, but being there, I knew that in my soul. Right. And it made it so that I always wished I was someone else, you know, and I think about growing up and, like, you know, playing house and stuff like that, and I always wanted, I would pretend my name was Elizabeth. And I feel like it was like very much like my way of like embracing like that is a white, like a white, normal, basic bitch name. Right. You know? <laughs> like and that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, and it was always weird to not be like everyone else when you don't see yourself around or the images of yourself are terrible. <laughs> it's hard to kind of have the pride of self that. Yeah you want to have and there's always this negativity and this like self-hating and trying to distance yourself from that when you're when you know that what you look like means that you're less than everybody else right you know so i think this is something that a lot of people a lot of white people are really waking up to at this moment and like starting to understand these conversations that have been happening for a long time about representation about segregation about you know the um all these different kinds of discrimination that happen in society and that like what you said like colorblindness like doesn't help anyone because you know i could be around people who weren't racist you know and whatever but it still meant that i was missing from these conversations my dog is like burrowing right now so (laughs) you hear that (laughs) no no i hadn't heard it joe um but anyways that like you know there has to be this acknowledgement and when we like one of the things i think is interesting is like the simpsons right now finally uh they're having people of color voice their people of color and hari kondabolu came out with that amazing documentary three four years ago now 
Um, and, the, and the point of the documentary was that it was overdue at the time, right? So even three or four years ago, it was already like, come on. Yeah, it was already, you know, and everyone, I think what's so moving, I show that in my pop culture class. Um, and one semester I had a white kid in the class who he came up to me afterwards and he was like, um, before watching this, I was like vehemently against the idea that cultural appropriation was a thing. He was like, I thought people were being too sensitive and all that. And then he watched all these um, like Indian people and some of them Pakistani people who, you know, get wrapped up in this and them say this has harmed me. Like people have bullied me my whole life based off of this. And like, you know, this is the only representation that existed of this. And he became so passionate about this that he did his final project on cultural appropriation and wow. was like, I can't stop talking to people about it. It's like yeah, when I go amazing. home, I, tell, I talk to my family, I talk to my friends. And that's kind of where we're seeing people who have been like, you know, hesitant about this. I'm shocked to be seeing like my very conservative friends from college reading, you know, how to be anti-racist and things like that now. Uh, because they're suddenly like, oh, yeah, maybe this wasn't actually bullshit this whole time. Maybe people weren't being sensitive. Maybe we have a problem here. And so, yeah, we're I'm happy we're trying to do our part in, yeah. you know, addressing this. For sure. And I, yeah. I want to kind of jump on Corey's point there and say, you know, thinking back to uh, little Corey playing Elizabeth and that it's important that we talk about um, oppression that we talk about the ways that people are, are marginalized and left out and the real violence that racism does. And it's also important that we talk about black excellence and make that very clear that we give uh, little Corey other people than just Elizabeth to think about and not just people who fought back against oppression, but people who just did cool shit because yeah. that's cool. Exactly. Cause you get sick of the narrative of just like, and here are all the black people I heard about growing up it, when black history month came around were all former slaves or people in the civil rights movement or whatever. It was never just like, here's cool stuff yeah. that people did. Like, yeah, racism is a part of every black person's life, yeah. but it isn't the whole story, you know, and not everyone is an activist. Some people just do cool stuff and we need to hear those stories as well too. It's, you know, normalize black people essentially, you know, like, Hey, yeah, we're here. We've been here. We're all kinds, just like everybody else. And like, you know, we can, it's great to talk about activists and all that kind of stuff, but also like we live normal lives. Some of us are good. Some of us are bad. Some of us like, you know, win spelling bees and some of us invent cartridges and, you know, some, I don't know, whatever, like, you know, but just be able to see that rounded experience and not everything just being like the story of our oppression, which always like it embarrassed me when I when like Black History Month would come around when I was in school and I'd be like, uh, I'm the only black kid in this classroom and we're gonna talk about how my ancestors were slaves. This is fun, you know. So yeah, I agree. Like highlight stuff that isn't just that. Yeah. Uh George Washington Carver invented more than three hundred products just from the peanut plant. In my head I was like, I know they're thinking George Washington nope. Carver. <laughs> He's the coolest. <laughs> That's the one we get. We get George Washington. That's, that's the one I learned about in school. <laughs> the one black guy that didn't save a million people or wasn't, uh, I don't, yeah, all these other tokenizing things. George Washington Carver is the only, like, inventor in black history. He's one of the best, though. I mean, <laughs> all all of, of jazz, blues, and rock and roll. 
uh, in all of it. Um, what did that do for peanuts, Jay? What? That didn't advance the peanut cause at all. Okay. Uh, you're right. You're right. Jeez. Way to I'm change sorry, the topic. The, the category was peanut related. Where um, else would it go? <laughs> right. no, I, I apologize. We'll, I'll get us, we'll get back on track. Um, let's continue our conversation of black excellence by it. highlighting a black game developer. And Ben, uh, no, we should also mention we were using the website uh, blackgamedevs.com, which yes. is awesome and a great resource we'll be using going forward. We won't be using it to hire people, but game development. <laughs> which we had the ability to do that, yeah. Right, we'll be using it though to uh, to promote games that we find uh, by cool black game developers, and occasionally we're going to highlight some uh, some exciting black game developers that we find uh, either on that list or or maybe just out in the world through Twitter or wherever. Uh, one of the cool things about that site also is that it lists uh, has like the website for that person, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, Facebook, other sites, but it also for many of them lists their games, and all of those things have links to them, which I love. I don't have to like, oh, search for that game and figure out how to play. Like, all you do is click on the game that they made and it goes to whether like it's the web version or a place on Steam where you could buy it, whatever it might be. But yeah, I spent like an hour on that earlier and just played a bunch of web-based games for free and it was great. Uh, and there's also a bunch of links to expensive games that we will be playing later that cost more than free. Because we should pay them. Because we should pay them, exactly. But yeah, some it's a really cool site that it's got some great resources in it. Fantastic. All that to say is that it's not a fad. It's something. It's not something we're going to let go of in a year, but something we want to continue to highlight. Something that's important to the us three. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're, I know for me, I'm a, something I'm addressing in my own life, and it's something that I want to make sure that we're talking about here. So, uh, should we get into the games? Let's do it. So, uh, yeah, these games were both announced: Ball Blazer and Rescue on Fractalis at the Lucasfilm Games press conference on May 9th, nineteen eighty four. I don't know. Oh, they, sorry. They were not announced. Then. They were both introduced. Then I think they were announced two years before that. I don't know what a press conference for Lucasfilm games looked like. And I couldn't find out more about it. I just imagine like Gary Winnick and David Fox at like a podium with George Lucas in press row. I couldn't like, I don't know who cared about this new company, uh, loosely tied to George Lucas. Um, but yeah, people cared. They had a press conference about it. They announced these two games, the first two games that would, from the company that would eventually become LucasArts. David Levine was going to be heading up uh, the, as the project lead and lead developer for Ballblazer, while David Fox, the two Davids, uh, David Fox took the lead roles on Fractalis. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of this info, by the way, comes from the main source for most of these classes, LucasArts games, is Rogue Leaders, The Story of LucasArts uh, by Rob Smith, as well as I got a lot of info from David Fox's personal website, electriceggplant.com. Uh, David Fox, he, we've interviewed him a couple times on on the show, and we will, I'm sure, again, because uh, he's just like the nicest, like wisest guy that knows everything. We were like, hey, how did this get made? And he gives us like the five-year history leading up to it and just goes, and it's like all gold information. So we loved it. Uh, yeah. So along with being one of the first employees of the Lucasfilm Computer Division Games Group, which is the longest name and what apparently it was called before it was called Lucasfilm games. Uh, he also co-founded the world's first public access microcomputer center in 1977 with his wife, Annie, which was in, I believe mill Valley or Corte Madeira. Yeah, it was Marin. Uh, so yeah, the first computer lab, the first public computer lab, which apparently they called PCs microcomputers yeah. back then. Cause computers were just the size of minivans. Tire room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, right. and Annie would teach uh, coding classes there. Um, yeah. so, so would David, but I think it was really more Annie's project. Yeah, definitely. So just to kind of recap, let me read the description of Ball Blazer from electriceggplant.com. 
Uh, and this is kind of an ad read ish. Like it definitely felt like some sort of like treatment that was like trying to hype up the, the reader. But Ballblazer is a one-on-one soccer match set in the future and originally developed for the Atari 800 and 5200. You control a rotofoil. I think that's a word they made up. Uh, it just throws it into the lexicon like, oh, obviously, a rotofoil. And try to snare a floating ball called a plasmorb, which can then be fired or carried into the opponent's goal. I, I think I only carried it, by the way. Oh, I shot it. I, I was, I I was the not. master. Uh, wait, what is the thing again? The the pla- plasmorb. The plasma. I was I was a master of plasma. I, was, I did not yeah. get to the master level, unfortunately. Uh, you play on a simple 3D play field, watching a split screen first person point of view from both rotofoils, yours and your opponents. So it's like split screen, top and bottom. Uh, play against a computer controlled droid rotofoil or a rotofoil controlled by another human player. Uh, that was basically my experience. Can, can I give a, a quick kind of description of what it feels like to play this? It, it's, yeah, you're playing on an Atari. So imagine like lots of, of nice colors, um, 5,200. So it's, it's a good Atari and it's kind of like first person Pong, right? You are the paddle and you're running back and forth on this field, knocking the ball back and forth. And you're, uh, you're always looking at the ball, I believe, right? There's yes. no right in, there's no turning, right? There's only moving right and left and forward and backwards. And yep. you're just always facing the ball and it just snaps you right to be looking at the ball, which is cool. So if you run past it, it flips you around. That, it took back. me a long time to figure out what was going on. But yeah, that's and then you yeah. knock it into a goal. Did you both I, play on Atari? Yes. Yep. Certainly not via emulator. I would never do that. I bought an Atari for just this purpose. Yeah, yeah. We each bought Ataris and uh, DM us if you want links to have. Actually, to I already games. played. I played it on Nintendo too, and the Atari version was far superior. Oh, it was far superior. Oh, cool. Okay. And this is the oh. the big difference between the twenty six hundred and the fifty two hundred. The fifty two hundred was a beast and could do some stuff. Nice. All right. Uh, I will say before we get into our experiences is that I, I usually, we don't talk about the reception other than like this game undersold or this game like was game of the year or whatever. Uh, I do need to read a few of the quotes, computer gaming worlds, because after playing this, I was disappointed a little bit. It was, it was fun, but it didn't snare me enough to play more than 30 or 40 minutes. And I was just kind of like, well, I did it. I'm not good enough to have enough fun is kind of what it was. Uh, it felt very limiting. Uh, but Computer Gaming World stated that the quick and intense ball blazer squeezes more out of the Atari 400-800 than any game I've ever seen. Spectacular graphics. Info rated ball blazer 4 out of 5 stars, stating that, quote, it is undoubtedly the fastest game available for the 64, end quote, and recommending that it's... Uh, it's a weird like, way to, like, hail a game. Like, this game fast. is fast. Right? That's uh, I can about it. ZZap64 gave an enthusiastic review of the Commodore 64 version of the game. Their only criticism being weak sound effects with an overall rating of 98%. The game was described as being, quote, the best sports simulation to hit the 64 yet. Well, Ben, it sounds like you're wrong here. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I I don't get it. Did you play it with anyone? I didn't get it. No, no, no. I did not. Did you? I I played it with my five-year-old daughter. Um and like she was able to play it like a, yeah i mean a beater right yeah, you know, yeah nice her, like, good yeah, yeah put her in her place but it, it was fun like it was really engaging to do as a two-player thing that's cool um my my one you know knock on it would just be that the ai is either way too perfect or like yeah doesn't even try that's and where i was the fine-tuning yeah. of the ai was a little bit tough but playing with another human being was just a blast i didn't have any close games no so. um yeah yeah, no, it's really fun, and it still looks pretty. Like, I love the big, bright colors. Um, it's cool. It's it's really fun to play. 
And the good thing about both of these games, or I think the the way that you can say that they are still beautiful, almost forty years later, thirty six years later, is that they excel at the things they can do well, and they just ignore everything else. Like they simplify the graphics and they simplify the controls. Although Rescue has a pretty complex control still, but they're not trying to do too much, right? As as opposed to like X Wing and Tie Fighter and Rebel Assault and these games that have cockpit simulation levels, or maybe the whole game is that. And we were just like, as soon as we get to those levels, frustrated beyond all belief sometimes in those games. But it just seems like there's way too much stuff to do. The The joystick is just way too sensitive. There's, it's really hard to get like locked on targets. And this one, the flying controls or the moving controls seem to be pretty spot on for both. So, uh, Ben, you already talked about showing these games off in 1984 at the press conference. Um, yeah. But this game started back in 82 with the initial memo that David Fox wrote that really began Lucasfilm games, which later became LucasArts games, where he said, you know, here, here's what we care about. Here are our principles. And at the end of it said, here, here's an idea for a game that might and be kind of fun. It's just entitled, the letter is just entitled Thoughts on Game Development. So it's not yeah. just about these two games. It's just kind of like David Fox's philosophy on gaming, basically. Yeah, we've talked about it before. At some point, we should do a mini side quest where it's just a dramatic reading of it because it's a great little two-page letter. It'll be a nice little five-minute side quest. Um, I love it. <laughs> but he, he talks about, you know, games shouldn't... Um, you shouldn't get stuck in a puzzle game. You should be able to always get out. You shouldn't, like, you know, end up at a, at a dead end. Uh, it's not all about dying. Uh, we got to have games that aren't just about shooting things. Um, you know, we can do these things. And so uh, then he says, you know, and here's here's one idea for a game, and he basically tries to to align it with Star Wars and imagine it in the Star Wars universe. Rebel Rescue. Pilot. Yeah, Re- Rebel Rescue is what it's called. And he largely describes the game that is Rescue on Fractalis. Uh, they yeah. lost the ability. Uh, they were not approved by the rest of Lucasfilm to actually make it a Star Wars game, first off. And second off, it became really important to some of the higher-ups that you be able to shoot things. It wasn't a video game until you can shoot stuff. Uh, from what I could tell as I read some other interviews, it seems like uh, David Fox pushed back on that. That was very much not his idea. And, you know, at the end of the day, lost that battle. Uh, but that's the main difference between what's described and, and what you play, is that it's not a Star Wars game and uh, you shoot people. Uh, otherwise, it's pretty much exactly as described in that initial memo. Uh, so his brief description, David Fox's, was Rescue on Fractalis is an action game played from a 3D first-person point of view, originally developed for the Atari 800 Your mission is to rescue stranded pilots on the planet of Fractalis. That's a pretty brief description. He actually has a full page going into like the, all the different aspects of the levels and what you do if someone's shooting at you and what happens if you see a Jaggy, which is the name of the aliens that live on Fractalis that have downed all of these fighters. Also, I read through the manual earlier and it's, it's got like a not incredible world building, but it has a very well thought out world that it lives in. Basically like you as the main player were kind of, you're an air pilot and all of the air pilots were like laid off by the military or by earth or whatever. Cause you were just obsolete because space pilots became the new sexy thing. Interplanetary travel and wars became the sexy, cool thing. And all they went to Fractalis to destroy the Jaggies. I don't remember why, because they're evil. Who knows? Uh, and they got downed because the space pilots couldn't navigate the cloudy acid fog atmosphere, which, by the way, I love how that the cloudy atmosphere makes up for the pop ups as you're flying along. They answered that like they made. I, that's amazing. Uh, so they needed air pilots to go onto Fractalis to rescue all the space pilots that were all crash landed. So that's that's why it's rescue on Fractalis. But uh, it has a pretty like we were saying before, or like I was saying, a very simple idea and a very simple execution. 
you're not going there and like running on the ground and shooting people up close. And it's not trying to be like some platformer or some first person shooter. It's just like, no, no, it's just, you just land and then you take off and you land and you take off and occasionally shoot things. If they're shooting at you, it's pretty simple. And yet I found it very addicting and very replayable. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and Corey, you watched some video. Um, it's, it's tough to say the graphics are really good um, because it's from 1984. Um, but for 1984, they're just like mind blowing. In fact, they're so good that when they first demoed it before the game came out, the journalists who were watching them play it kept trying to find the VHS tape that it was coming from. They thought it had all been, you know, computer generated before and then just shown there was no way it was rendering it real time. Uh, and so uh, we'll talk in a, in a second about how they were able to procedurally generate it using fractals. Um, it's it's a really, really cool game. The entire world is made up by the computer as you fly through it, right? Every time you get a new level, it procedurally generates it, including setting down little people that you're supposed to rescue and find. And it makes the whole thing feel really lived in. It feels real. It feels like an actual planet. Because uh, you know, ben- like, when I did watch these things, I had this thought process that I was like, I, I would play this, which I don't. Like oftentimes when I look at something with the graphics from that time or like just the way it looks and like like you're saying this rendering in real time kind of look to it um, yeah. that I often am like, yeah, I, I might have liked that in the 80s. But now, meh, I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy it. And it really it was something that I looked at. And I was like, yeah, no, that I absolutely can see this being something that I would find myself like immersed in and like playing forever kind of like what ben said just like just sucked into it totally. if they ported it to the iphone i think it would be a, oh yeah like it looks it like it sure. would be so much fun you know fox could do it like one night too right i think he needs to license unfortunately disney has the license for this game now, so that might be hard <sighs> they're not litigious though <laughs> no no no, no. Don't care. basically lauren carpenter was working at lucasfilm i don't know if he was working at lucasfilm games specifically but they were in the same building as david fox and Lauren Carpenter was, was actually in charge of the Genesis effect from Wrath of Khan, where the Genesis is like slowly lowering onto the planet to terraform it. And he invented this thing, I guess, called, or maybe not perfected, I don't know what it is, but basically this technology he was leading called fractal technology, which is the method of scaling 3D images so they're more detailed the closer you get. And apparently for Wrath of Khan, that was like a giant leap in in film and technology. So Fox optimistically asked Lauren Carpenter, his new office mate, if it was at all possible to make fractal technology run on an Atari 800 computer, the benchmark at the time, no was Carpenter's quick response. Nevertheless, nevertheless, amid discussions, nevertheless, amid discussions of a game design built around the concept of fractals, Carpenter that night took home an Atari 800 and in just a few days returned with it running a fractal generator. In a few days? A few days. Not surprisingly, the computer JK, a couple days. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not, not surprisingly, the computer division then loaned Carpenter to the games group to finish what he'd started. And thus Lucasfilm games, the Lucasfilm games guys generated their first cutting edge piece of technology to power their first games, which is why for rescue and fractalis and Ballblazer, the, while the, like you were saying, right, the graphics aren't like amazing right now. Back then they weren't just like, Oh, this, the graphics work for what we're doing. The graphics were like mind blowing. No one had seen pop up mountains as you're flying along. Like this is in the days of Pong was still a newish game. And this is still like, yeah, at the time, I mean, this was E.T. had come out and failed already. Games were more, to me, when I go back and play Atari games, they're more like an idea than they are on the page. Like if you can buy yourself into the world. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could be Superman here. or I could be this golf game or whatever it is. And I can imagine myself there. 
and the screen is just a metaphor for what I'm actually playing. And these were kind of the first time it seems like from these reviews that it was like, oh no, this is there's no metaphor. Like you're in, you're a pilot, you're flying through these mountains looking for for pilots. Yeah, my my brain was fooled enough that I got motion sick. Uh, there's a couple like, times, man. It's pretty good. Like yeah. I was in. I, I this game was so much fun, um, and I love that story uh, with uh, yeah. Lauren Carpenter and the idea that this is how you get an engineer to do something innovative and amazing and just like blow everyone away, as you say. Hey, um, is this possible? Could it be done? No. And that's it. Yeah. Could, like, you know, huh? uh, no, it, it couldn't because wait, but then if you're here, then that means you're right. right. And then suddenly in four days, uh, he creates it. Um, I, I think, gosh. I think David Fox told that story or a version of that story as well on uh, the podcast where we interviewed him. I think we did oh, a yeah. side quest where it's just us talking about him and his history at LucasArts. And he, he tells a, a quick version of that story. That was like the thing that, Oh, I mean, obviously there's, these are the first two games, but that was the thing to him that was like, Oh, we can do more than I ever could have imagined. Not just like different kind of side scrolly things or really simple graphic things, but, I'm going to be educated by these people that are way smarter than me programming wise. Uh, he's, he's a great programmer. He still is. Uh, but yeah, that was go back and listen to that episode from four years ago, three years ago. I think it was 2017, three years ago. Link in the, you know, we'll, we'll link, link in the description. Well, just like we will with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is one of the, the big strengths I think of Lucas arts, which is making, turning your weaknesses into strengths. And so you, you heard it with the, um, the acid fog atmosphere of the alien planet For sure. where when I was playing it, I wasn't actively thinking about pop-up issues. Uh, it felt like I was in this hazy alien world where yeah. there was fog. Um, and, you know, we kind of know more about fog effects now and uh, thinking of, you know, silent Hill and things just popping out of the fog and that being a creepy effect. Uh, another example of doing this exact same thing. Uh, by the time that was still pretty new and a cool idea to just say like, yep, there's a bunch of fog and that's why we can't show everything. Because uh, it's too much processing power, but the uh, the jaggies themselves are a self-deprecating joke. Uh, the jaggies refers yes. to that jagged outline that you see on the mountains. Uh, if you get too many jaggies, then the the mountain is not being rendered well. It doesn't look good, and so uh, it started as an in-house joke and then became the name of the alien species. Ah, uh, oh, get those jaggies! They're out to get us. Uh, which is fun because it was also the enemy uh, for the people making the game of trying to really cut down on the jaggies. And it was actually, I think, the kind of the working title before they came out with Rescue on Fractalis, which was Behind Jaggy Lines. Yeah, that's right. Kind of back when they, I think that was after Rebel Rescue, somewhere in between. So Ben, talk about the experience of playing this, because it's it's so much fun, and there's so many cool elements of surprise, right? So you're, you're flying along, you land your ship near a downed, um, uh, another downed ship, yeah. and you rescue the person in it, right? You turn off your shields, the person runs up to you, they knock on the door, you hear boom, boom, boom. And then you open the airlock, and then they come in, and you close the airlock, and then you take off and find another ship. Yeah. And that's that's the, the loop right there, and you keep doing it. And each so, level, so, you have to find three on the first level, and then five on the next level, and six, or whatever it is. Like, you have to find more pilots per, per episode, and there's more enemies, or per, per level. And there's more enemies per level, so it gets a little harder in that way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. so now, expand on the, the field, because what kind of variations happen as you get further? Yeah, so I knew that I would see, because the, like the ongoing joke in our slack for years has been like that gif of the jaggy like knocking on the window and i never knew how to get rid of it if you die then or whatever uh but apparently you die pretty quickly jason says right i didn't i never end up seeing one uh but something i did end up seeing was i on my radar i saw down pilot and i i 
I landed. I opened my airlock and everything. <laughs> Whatever. How do you park an airplane? Uh, as soon as I, I take off, it's like, alien is on board. Alien is on board. Alien, like uh, this big alert. And my energy starts just going down and down and down. And you can't get out of your cockpit. There's no like shoot with your pistol button. And then there's no like eject the next seat. Like I don't know if there's any way to save yourself there at that point. Is. I oh, found damn. out. Tell me. Fly up as high as you can and open the airlock. I didn't know you could open up the airlock unless you were. Yeah. Uh, but evidently that I've I read this in an interview with David Fox that he was talking about somebody actually saying that they did that and, and they were like, oh yeah, that is a good idea. And it wasn't like something that they had worked out, but like the game knew that like if the airlock opens, they go out. Right. I love it when the logic of a game, even such a simple game will let players create things that the creators had, hadn't even tried or didn't put in the manual or whatever. Yeah. That's cool. Like ejecting an alien into space. Like that's so stinking cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a different experience because, um, my alien came from the front, so I saw him coming. Um, but I wasn't quick enough. Uh, I'd got to like level 12 or 13, and you see the guys running towards you. But suddenly the guy running towards me, uh, he has a green head instead of his, his usual like space helmet on. And like right before I can figure it out, I'm like, oh, no, that's a jaggy. And suddenly it just like jumps up in front of you. It goes, oh, beats on the windshield, and then it punches its hand through your windshield. And like I full on screamed. It was awesome. It's scary. It was yeah. awesome. That's cool. <laughs> Does so? What happens when you you meet a jaggy? Do you like that? Are you back to the beginning? Like yep. what happens? Game over. Back. Well, and weirdly, I thought you could start back from the same level. You may, maybe you do, or maybe I I save scummed. I can't remember because I looked in the manual. It says you can skip levels. You can go all the way up to I think level sixteen. Basically, if you're yeah. good enough, right? And if you want to play again, you don't have to do it because they take a while. And if you're really good at the game. It's just like two hours of your life that you don't Similarly, it actually starts you on level four. Yeah. So that you can pull back if it's too tough. But it's like, here's probably a good starting point. You know, jump in there. So the levels are not so much uh, sequential, like you did this and then you did this. It's not telling that story. It's like a difficulty level. Yeah. It's a very arcadey feeling game. It is, for sure. Uh, I love the art on the manual, too. It's so cool. It's It's just photographs of people dressed as like pilots, and there's like, actual mountains there, and they actually made a Valkyrie fighter or the, the V wing that you're not supposed to call it. If you read through it, like um, it says you don't call it, that's not correct terminology in the manual. So it's a uh, Valkyrie, but they made a model of that. And like the game developers put on space helmets and like took pictures and that's who's on the cover of the game. Like it's, it's, it's a really cool manual. Yeah. Uh, anything else about the game? I guess uh, the one thing you said that, um, the Lucasfilm wasn't able to give them the um, the licensing, I guess, to do Star Wars. And they didn't do any Star Wars games until I think the 90s when they first did Star Wars, 89 or 90. Uh, but it's because uh, Parker Brothers and Atari already had licensing deals to make games for uh, or LucasArts, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, that kind of stuff. So, uh, and then I guess another piece of trivia was the Jaggy Suit has like random symbols on it is just the initials of the, the developers turn 90 degrees. So good. That's pretty good. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about is release or actually pre-release of this game. The piracy okay. issues they ran into. Oh, we didn't talk um, about that for Bob Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this also has to do with licensing. It had to do with the uh, distributor, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. It was Atari. They, they demoed it. Um, and then it got shared, you know, sent to the distributor to send out and put on a car- Atari cartridges and get, produced and then someone at that company leaked the files uh onto a um i believe a bulletin board yeah uh, and then it got spread from there 
so here's this game, a game with graphics so good that uh, people thought that it was a lie. They thought it was a VHS tape playing. And yet then, before they can even buy it, it's leaked. The entire game is leaked, and people start playing it. Add to that that then there were other issues with the distributor that they weren't able to release it when they played it, and the game got delayed. A game that was already accidentally leaked in full, an early build of it. Now they have to wait an extra year to release it. So that by the time they release it, everybody who had wanted to buy it had already played it, um, had already downloaded it illegally. And so this was not just an issue of piracy, but an issue of piracy before the game comes out. I So ha, I'm confused kind of like, so this is when it initially came out? Yeah. Uh-huh. In the 80s. Yep. In 84, yeah. So, and you used the word downloaded. So how? Well, here's the thing. So we talk about the internet and the web as though they're the same thing, but they're not. The, the World Wide Web was invented in 1992. But before 1992, you may remember the internet, right? Which is mainly bulletin boards was the way I interacted with that. So someone took these files and they put them up on a bulletin board, right? They shared them that way. And this is blowing my mind because yeah. I've never thought about pre-World Wide Web piracy and even pre, like, honestly, like pre-peer-to-peer um, when you had, like, pre-DSL, pre-cable yeah. piracy before and i'm just it's blowing my mind to think about the idea of people pirating this game and what kind of computing power they must have had to have that what who were these people who had the internet to do this it was true peer-to-peer for one thing as opposed to what we had in the 90s which was a distributed peer-to-peer right that was really the invention of um, napster was distributed so i'm never downloading a file from someone else's computer i'm, I'm downloading a kernel right i'm downloading some packets um, and then, uh, so I put it up, I share it, uh, somebody else has it and then they share it, uh, and so on. Um, and similar to passing around a disc. And I, I do remember, I did actually do this. I did get a game from someone this, this way at one point. Uh, I remember it being a pain in the butt, um, where, you know, it wasn't getting it off the server. It was them setting up. I am now sending it to you. Okay. Now I'm downloading it. You know, I'm receiving, you know, setting up this relationship and your computer would like have a handshake and then boom. Yeah, well, you know, now that you mentioned that, I'm like, I do remember that being a thing, you know? So vaguely, I guess this concept is something that I experienced. Um, but to imagine it on, like you said, okay, so this game gets leaked and then it gets delayed and then all these people end up having it. It's it's kind of interesting to think about then the, how widespread this is as yeah. well. Yeah. Imagine that yeah. this is like, this is something that it isn't just like this small cohort of people who are like real deep nerds who are getting this, but that this is actually something that gamers were familiar with enough that like lots of people were having it and it affected the outcome of, you know, the sales of this game once it actually yeah. came out. Yeah. It's kind of amazing to imagine the community back then and, and how involved it was. It's hard to know how it affected the, because you don't, there's no way of knowing who had the pirated version, right? So I don't know how it actually affected the sales. Because in the 80s, to download a game, you're right, was such a rare thing. It was for people like Corey, hardcore gamers. So yeah, only my kind. We were the only ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then getting to a ball blaster, the pirated version was, uh, I guess, famously, and I don't know how famous it was before Tim Schafer told his story. Oh, of so when good. he fresh out of college. And he got a call with David Fox. He got kind of a phone interview with David Fox, and he mentioned how much he loved Ball Blaster. And David Fox immediately, probably in the nicest way possible, like called him out. He's like, actually, I didn't create Ball Blaster. I created Ball Blazer. Ball Blaster is the pirated version. 
And Tim Schafer like awkwardly ended the interview and immediately wrote a comic that was a comic of himself applying and getting the job at Lucasfilm Games drawn as a text adventure. I sent that in and then got an in-person interview right after that. So just a great story from Tim. But yeah, big old nerd. Yeah, I think uh, Bald Blaster had been the early pre-release kind of in-house name they had used. And that one got pirated. Uh, that's the name that went out with all the pirated copies. So it was, it was oh, yeah. a, a way of outing himself as somebody who had downloaded it illegally. Yeah. When in the um, Broken Age documentary, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when Marius talked about how he um, like, you know, made the game to do his like, like basically got hired because he made a game of himself getting hired. Did they yeah. reference that, that that was what Tim Schafer had done? Because I don't remember that story i don't think they referenced it at all i don't think so it does seem really but it is you're right like, it's the same thing story, the i same, was like yeah. wait i know this story and they're like no it was marius who did this yeah. like, no but that's it's same same but different but that's a very funny <sighs> parallel Gosh, i forgot about same same but different i haven't heard that in so long Thank you. <laughs> i used to have a tank top that said that i got in vietnam anyway uh, and the last thing I have on Rescue and Fractalis is that after a few failed sequel attempts, first by Lucasfilm Games, then by a company, a German developer uh, called Force 5, uh, Force 5 began working on it for the second or third time in the mid-90s. And eventually it was canceled and all the work they had done on it for a few months was turned into Star Wars Rogue Squadron for N64. It finally became a Star Wars game. It's just a great game. I don't, which I don't, we have not played for a month. We keep talking about wanting to play it because it is such a yeah. great flight sim. Uh, but I love the idea that David Fox wanted to make this Star Wars game that eventually the sequel became a Star Wars game. Yeah, it's a happy ending. It is. Go, go team. Well, when the new Star Wars uh, spaceship shoot 'em up game comes out, we'll oh, have to go play Squadron. The, uh, the 90s one instead. Yes, we'll do both. Uh, and we'll just do both. everyone. Oh my gosh. I'm excited for that. And it's only 40 bucks. There you there go. go. Uh, and it's VR uh, crap abilities. So that's fine. There you go. So a few months ago, we had the idea, actually years, we've had the idea of, of having fake commercials for made up mattresses or made up uh, security systems or whatever. And then we just like throw in a bunch of like mulch. Like you don't know Jack. Yes. It's, I haven't played that game in literally 20 years. So maybe. Okay, well, you're missing out, and you need to buy Jackbox, but anyway. Okay. It's very good. And you did buy it, because it's in the Humble Bundle. Hey! I bought over 2,000 games the past week, and so I, I don't know. play Jackbox! Hey! Is that a thing we can do? Let's do that. Yeah. This is not a commercial for Jackbox. What we wanted to do, instead of making up a, like a silly commercial, was actually use this time, and maybe the next couple months, too, uh, to highlight black game creators, black devs. Uh, and the first this month is Salman Shuri. We're going through that list, that really extensive list on blackgamesdevs.com. And his jumped out to me, honestly, because it had a bunch of links to games. <laughs> so I was like, oh, cool. This, be, this is convenient. Uh, but it also links to his itch.io. And he has, I don't know if you scroll to the bottom, but dozens of games that he yeah, made. Dozens. And he's yeah. the lead on, on all of them. And I think they're done solo almost completely, maybe other than some scores or, or art, maybe. But they're all beautiful, all really, really simple games. Two, and we'll link to all this. Two games I want to shout out. And I, uh, I want to talk about spikes in platforming. That's I get that. I want that one. Okay. So the game I want to shout out is the, the one that links from uh, that website. And it's uh, Gun Golf. And the tagline is, golf is boring. So we added guns. And <laughs> you're, you're a gun. There's one button. And it's shoot. 
and and I think you get the cursor as well to, to move to a point to a point where you shoot and all you're doing is trying to get in the hole at the end of the level and it's just like this top down your gun trying to get in the hole right classic classic tale uh, Jay you want to talk about another game yeah and I get to like level 7 or 8 of gun golf it's really it's, fun it is really um, fun that's one more that I would love to see uh, ported and play on phones for uh, sure I can see myself just losing hours to it and that would just be pressing where you want it to go that'd be even simpler yeah. the yeah, touch screen awesome. yeah the other one is called Just Spikes and Platforming. Which is a lie. You're right. There's a story in this game. There's a story. Did you finish it? I didn't get to finish it. I finished it. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, Don't it's really good. Spoil so it, it starts but... out and um, you're a, like a pretty cool uh, pixel art. What are character. you? You're like a circle with arm legs? Yeah, but I love the way it was animated. So like yeah, when you would jump and hit a wall, you would like squish and like slide down the wall. You're kind of like Slimer. Yeah, I just, I loved some of the movement stuff. It, yeah. it felt really good. It's just a platformer, right? You just jump over spikes, uh, try to get to different places. Uh, but you keep passing these signs. And every time you pass a sign, the words on the sign, you jump up so that you just see those. And they're saying, you know, stay away. Please stop coming. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see anyone. And it's it's like going back and forth. The first time I was like, oh, is it like an enemy? It's like a keep out sign. And then it seemed to be more personal. Oh. And finally, the last few are these things about um, why do you you know why do you keep coming uh, when I keep telling you no, and then you get to one that says why do you keep coming when everyone else has left me? Oh, and it's like oh okay, it's a different. I, I was wondering what I'm doing here if I'm doing something wrong, and then finally the last one is something about like um, well if you're here maybe we could just be here together, Aww. and you get up and there's another one that's just like you except it's crying, <gasps> and you just go up next to it. And the games that are going to make me cry, dude. Oh, it's, it, and it'll take like five minutes, and then you'll cry, and it's amazing. It's so good. It's it's like the opposite of Celeste. It's like Celeste, but for it's, allies. Yes, uh, just for friends, like just for hanging out. That's what, um, that's it's, a synonym. It's good. Yeah. Sorry. Cool. I like it. So yeah, Salman Shuri, amazing game creator. Uh, check him out, and uh, yeah, I don't. We'll we'll highlight any any time that there's like a a. A game other than his itch.io games that, that maybe we'll play for a month if it's not necessarily even like a triple A game, but something that, that we can give money to, right? Because these are all just free web games that we played. So um yeah, so check them out. This game's pretty fun with frustration. When I was all done, I just had to question what's the beer, what's the song? I can't always tell. I just want to know. All right, Corgan, what's your drink? I did not play this game. My drink is uh, the whiskey and larceny bourbon in this let's wine about it dented cup. Nice. 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 Oh, I got to try Cheers. larceny. I keep hearing good things. <laughs> All right. My drink is a, and I'm surprised we haven't done this before because every time we'd go to Costco, we get a big old slice of pizza and we would do soda fountain suicides and literally do all of them. I think I did all of them except for seven up. AMPM. Oh yeah. You did AMPM. That's right. That's what we used to do. Uh, yeah, that's right. Going up. Anyway, uh, these games were kind of game changing or kind of landscape changing, ambitious, but also sometimes unclear, a little blurry and confusing, hard to define, just like this drink is. Uh, you never really, really know what you're going to get. There's a lot to love in there, but sometimes you do it wrong and it's not always what you were looking forward to or not always what you wanted. So that's why I went with the suicide. Usually something I like, something I look fondly upon, um, but not always amazing. 
Jay, what do you got? I went with uh, Brooklyn Brewing's uh, Sriracha Ace, uh, which is a Saison. One of the reasons I picked uh, Brooklyn, to be honest, is that uh, Garrett Oliver, the uh, brewmaster for 25 years now, uh, one of the biggest names in brewing and one of the few black uh, brewmasters out there. Uh, I thought it'd be good to to just go to Brooklyn Beers and see see what's there. Uh, Sriracha Ace has been a favorite of mine for a while. I really love Saison's and uh, their spin on it to throw uh, Japanese hops in it um, to take a really simple style and do something exciting and fun and unique with it. Um, reminded me of Rescue on Fractalis, right? Very simple, uh, but also with that that cool kind of unique spin on it where it's very much just its own thing and not like anything else. Also, Garrett Oliver, author of The Oxford Guide, is it The Oxford Companion to Beer, which you bought me, I think, for my birthday a couple years ago. But yeah, it's an amazing... Like close to a decade ago, whenever it came out, it's very good. Yeah, a long time ago. As a quick note before moving on from that, that just made me think maybe at some point uh, someone posted they were doing like a wine flight in a virtual tasting uh, from a winery in Napa that's the only black-owned winery in oh, Napa. Really? And so uh, maybe we can look into what that is. I can't remember what one it was, and it was on oh, Facebook, cool. Facebook right now. Um, but maybe you know we can all get like a bottle at some point and like I like it, it out and have that be our like you know what's the drink? They each try a different like they have a, a Sauvignon Blanc, which is my favorite. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, just wanted to bring that up because you know my mind is a bag of cats, and I'll have forgotten to by five minutes from now. So, but you guys think about things longer than I do. Sweet. Do you have a song, Cor? <laughs> so I'm listening to the office ladies podcast and all my brain just did was go, Ryan started the fire. Like that. <laughs> thing. So no, I don't have a song. Ryan started the fire. I'm going to go with the song is the sound of the open road. Yes, that's it. <laughs> My song is State of the Art by Got Ye. Uh, it's a song about uh, the Got Ye guy. He has probably a name, and it's probably not Got Ye. Don't do that. Got Ye? Got Ye? Got Ye. Godier. Godier? It's not Godier. It's Godier, dude. I've seen several documentaries about the guy. What? Then, it's not then, Godier? We've talked about him. There's no way. It's There's no way you. this is happening. Yeah. I think that you hurt your head when you fell down today. And I'm I guarantee you, you I did. You don't remember that song, and now you're saying Gatye. Ben is in the Berenstein universe, and we're in the Berenstein oh, no. universe. Godie? Yes. Godier. It's on this Wikipedia. I legit thought you were joking. I thought this was like a troll. Like, Gatye. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> yeah, he says oh, in America it's become Gautier, but that's not how I pronounce it. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair. Okay, I'll give it to you then. I'll give you that. Here it's Godier, and nobody's gonna know who you're talking about when you say Gotye. Well, oh yeah, no, it, it's actually Gautier, not Gautier. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're saying so it's Gautier, not yeah. Gotye. And I and I know how Gautier is pronounced because we have a uh, Gautier apprentice in my department with that same spelling, the G A U T H E I E R. So my song is State of the Art by Gautier, and it's a song that the Gautier guy that I guarantee you has a name that isn't Gautier. Basically, it's a story about being gifted a secondhand organ from the 70s and making a modern sounding song in 2011 by completely 100% just using songs from that organ, uh, sounds that existed in the 70s. 
uh, and making it very modern. It doesn't sound like a 70s song. So so in the same way that the fun and creativity, especially in Fractalis for me, were very modern feeling, uh, the game itself and kind of looks of the game were 40 years old. Uh, and also it's one of my favorite songs of all time. So anyway... I, you've been jonesing to use this song because we were talking we've about this song like at least twice in the past couple months. Oh, I'm sure. I love this song. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Use it, and it's very appropriate to use it. Thank you. Okay, uh, Jason, what's your song? Uh, my song is uh, well, Run the Jewels Four came out, so I had to pick something off that. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, so I picked Goonies versus ET. Because uh, I felt like, you know, time-wise, that fits in, uh, you know. I also watched Goonies last week, again, for the first time in about a decade. And, man, that movie holds up. I'm not saying it's not Doesn't problematic, it? but it's it's fun. Okay. So, um, now, the connections to Rescue on Fractalis aren't just the, you know, 80s stuff. Uh, but actually, the lyrics themselves are kind of scarily descriptive of it. This is more of the, the Ben thing, where the, all of the lyrics describe it perfectly. Nice. Uh, living in a valley of flames like I wins skyline ablaze in a Bob Ross pick. Ooh. Finally, the money up a prank on the kid and the planet hit skits. Living in a valley of flames like I win skyline ablaze in a Bob Ross pick. You don't want the one now. Um, that was just fun for me to read. You can cut that last bit because I don't think it applies to the game. Although, David Fox really is nothing to fuck with. That's and true. I think we have Preach. to recognize that. True. All right. Uh, what else have we been playing? Yeah. All right. Uh, Corey, uh, you haven't been playing anything else besides these games lately, right? Uh, I'm playing a lot of Luigi's Mansion. Did I mention that Ooh. last time? I don't think I was playing it when we recorded it. When we recorded last time. Sucking up those ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, like, it's the, like, haptic feedback of that game is, like, extremely satisfying. And, uh, so yeah, I very much enjoy like just like sucking up ghosts and like you feel every bit of it and all that. And but also sometimes it's like very startling and very frustrating. So now at this point, if I type the letter L into my phone's like Google search thing, it immediately is like Luigi's Mansion Three, and then all the things that I've Googled of how to beat oh, bosses. No. Yeah, because I'm I don't have the patience for it, but I enjoy playing it. So. I've been playing a lot, of, a lot of that, and I just downloaded a Penguin game, and I'll let you know how that goes uh, next month, but it's like a mobile game. I was downloading something else, and it was like, hmm, this is a related thing, and I was like, Penguins? Yes. Nice. I'm excited to hear about that, yeah. Jay, what, what do you got? Did you? By the way, did you notice how short Corey's was? I and did. I'll, okay. Mine's not going to be. Okay. I was hoping you'd go first right. so that I could, I could just kind of play jazz for a bit. Yeah, thanks. I think the only other video game I played in June was Red Dead a couple times with Sean and Brent and Tyler. Yeah, I think I played with Tyler once or twice. Uh, online, and actually, we don't really play online. What we do is we play single player, and but we stream it, and we watch each other's streams while we're playing one player because we don't really like the online. And they're still playing the single player one. So it's really fun for me to watch other people play the game that i love so much because i already beat it so also problematic game but anyway jay what do you got 
right, so I'm going to throw a bunch at you real quick. Um, one, I've been playing a lot of Ring Fit and still enjoying that. But even more importantly, I introduced my wife to it. And she has since become addicted to it. And I love my new buff wife, and she's going to break me in half someday. Uh, she's got all these like crazy buff muscles now, and she's about to pass me level-wise, even though she started four months after me, and it's embarrassing. Wow. Um, I, I also wanted to talk about... Uh, oh, I beat Chrono Trigger. Uh, that was amazing. And now I moved on in my elliptical video game playing to Xeno Gears. Uh, simultaneously, I got Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, on the Switch, so I'm a real uh, Xenogears on the elliptical, Xenoblade on the Switch. Is that like a Street Sheets thing? Is that a... Oh, that a it just sounds like... There, right? All I can think of is that you're playing Xeno games in different places, and you're seamlessly morphing between them, so would that make you a... Uh, I don't know what it would be. A Xeno... It feels so alien to me. A Xeno game... Yeah, I know. Anyway. Ooh, nicely done. Thank you. Uh, but I also want to take a sec and talk about... By the way, Morph an X-Men? His name was That's Morph. It. His power was to morph. What are we doing here, I know. guys? I know. Can give him a name like Steve or like the Changer or something? Come on. It's just... What do you got? What do you got, Jay? Um, in the past month, um, there have been two really, really good video game bundles. Ben alluded to yeah. about 2,000 games in the last couple weeks. Uh, one was with itch.io. I think that capped out around 1,600 games for $10. I paid 20 or 30 I think you got over uh, 2,000 just itself. Yeah, it's amazing. And then um, the other is Humble Bundle did a 30-game uh, pack, but it was uh, a lot more uh, well-known games rather than... It. Yeah, it's some AAA um, titles in it. Both great deals, but also both went to support uh, local Black Lives Matter groups as well as uh, bail funds. And so one service I thought we could do is uh, I know uh, Ben and I purchased the H.io bundle, which is, again, is it over 2,000 games, Ben? Is that where it is? I'll double check. I think it was, yeah. Uh, a lot. Uh, is just go through there and like pick some games that we found that are awesome. Because I think a lot of people bought it and not a lot of people know what to play on there. There's some obvious ones like, um, wh- go for it. Oh, I just said that's a daunting amount it, of games. I've got Humble have like 13 games in them and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, yeah. And it's not well organized in a sense. It's just all of them alphabetical. You know, click the next page, right? Um, and so uh, I wanted to pick two to talk about today. And uh there's the obvious ones that I think lots of people like, which is like uh, a short hike, which was kind of got a, a lot of praise at the end of last year. Uh, that's in there. There's that stuff. But to pick some lesser knowns, uh, first is one called Cat Lateral Damage. It's a first-person shooter where you play as a cat, and instead of shooting, you just knock things over with your paws. Um, and so uh, you just have to jump up on like shelves and like knock books over. It doesn't get fancier than that, except there are challenges to like you know how many books can you knock over. And you get an upgrade where now you can jump higher to knock more books over. It's amazing. I cannot tell you how much fun it was to spend like 30 or 45 minutes on this game uh, and just knock stuff over and be a cat. And I was like, I get it. I get it now. I understand cats, why you like this. It's really fun to just knock everything over. (laughs) The other one... Oh, Ben, let me go to you real quick. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say stats for the uh, the bundle for racial justice and equality by itch.io was their goal was to raise $5 million and they ended up raising over $8 million. Uh, and they, it was 1,700 games for $5 or pay what you want at, above that. And regularly, all of those games at full cost would be $9,500. Oh, my God. Uh, and that includes games we talked about a lot uh, like uh, Night in the Woods and Celeste. I don't know if we've talked about Overland and a short hike before, but yeah, just a lot of really, really, really cool games that I've 
heard of or yeah i haven't played most of these but heard of a bunch of them and then again it has over 1700 games so yeah so so i mentioned cat lateral damage the other one i wanted to mention is called signs of the sojourner and it's a card game uh but it feels rather than battles you're engaging in conversations and you're not actually trying to win the conversation you are working with the the opponent or the uh the npc to like get a point across like connect things and so do you want to play the emotional card here uh, or the emotional transition to logic or the logic transition to kind of assertive, uh, all of these kinds of things. And it's a really fun card game that honestly feels like conversation and really cool world building, um, really cool focus on uh, diverse characters uh, throughout it. Um, it's a great game that I'm really enjoying. Sounds like a good game for if you've been quarantining alone. A hundred percent. This is what conversations are like. Yeah. Remember those? Yeah. Yeah. Mumph in the news. Oh, we got to pick another game and also Mumph in the news. And um, hey, Mumph in the news. I've been in national press three times this week. So. Hey, Washington Post Chronicles of Higher Education. Chronicle. The Chronicles of Higher Education does sound cooler. The Chronicles of Riddick of Higher Education. Yeah. Chronicles. What? What's the other one? Uh, CNN. Today. Oh, just CNN. Oh, and your local news. Dallas news is kind of big. Yep. And Star Telegram. Uh, we also interviewed. You write a tweet and next thing you know. Yeah. We also did another interview this morning. Um, so maybe more. We'll see. The nice thing about that is it's helping thousands of people. Professors at other universities, not just TCU, which obviously helped a lot because the administration saw that and immediately backed down. I, I just feel like, you know, if you're going to elaborate on it, just to say that Jason uh, wrote an accidentally viral tweet about um, being denied ADA accommodations to stay home for the fall semester uh, because of his child's heart condition and thus not wanting to expose her to COVID-19. And this sparked a nationwide movement, which first changed the rules at TCU so that people could uh, choose to stay home for the fall semester, but also now has become a much broader movement than just there, which absolutely was necessary and everyone should have the choice to stay home probably everyone should just be staying home in the first place yeah but it would absolutely be a choice it's been really cool what's happening to be involved in it throughout so it's exciting and it seems like other schools are starting to make better decisions um and i'm hoping that, that that's rolling it's it's weird to see tcu now at kind of the forefront of it when just a week ago i was feeling very much like they were at the back of it so that's good so literally, month in the news. Hey month yo. in the news. <laughs> I, I will say I am as like happy a story as that is. I am a little disappointed that you literally didn't mention month in those news stories, but that's fine. That's next time. You know, that's fine. Whatever. Who cares? Thought about sliding it in every once in a while. Month does allow you to work remotely a hundred percent of the time already, and has for years. <laughs> from a motel six in Nebraska, or <laughs> wherever. <sighs> All right. Uh, what we are playing next month is our 50th game. Although I guess we played two games this month. And we, anyway, so 50th episode game episode 50, whatever. And we'll be playing the Moid Park, yes. which I think we talked about a few months ago, but this is like, like, yeah, which we've all played. We did it a few years ago. We're going to do it again with Corey this time. Uh, and this game, I know we, I think this was our Westy 12 game or was for me. Yeah. This is in a lot of ways, kind of a perfect game. And so, um, but we played it before it was released and before a bunch of patches. So I'm excited to go back and be able to go into the arcade this time. And just I think there's new characters that we didn't even hear of last time. Uh, I'm going to play it with Hannah. And so get a new perspective on the game from from a bunch 
different places. So that'll be fun to play that again. Anything else to add? Sound quality audience, it's my fault. Oh yeah, just playing Corey for everything. Sweet. All right. Uh yeah, if you have any questions, comments, or concern, you can email us at monthpod at gmail.com. That's M-O-L-M-M-P-O-D at gmail.com. Uh our website is menoflomofiber.com. Our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're not really on Facebook. We should get rid of that. But yeah, Twitter is where we exist mostly online. Uh, and yeah, if you want to throw a few bucks our way, maybe support us financially. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mulf. And as always, I've been Ben. I will be Jason. You know, Corey. And I am a mighty pirate. That's it. Get going. Forget the past. Just go get us a future. And Black Lives Matter, y'all. There you go. Peace. Actually, not peace. Uh, change. Conflict. Peace is stupid. Yeah, exactly. Lots of it. Yeah. Conflict out. <laughs> Conflict out. Conflict out.